Welcome to Growth Over Easy, the podcast where we explore the depths of life with an optimistic lens. I'm your host, Lily Rachels, and I believe pain has the potential to produce more growth than happiness ever could. I teach you how to grow through grief and give you actionable tools you can start using today. It's time to choose growth over the easy path in life. Let's grow together. Welcome back to Growth Over Easy. My guest today is Johanna White. She's an award-winning graphic designer and visual branding strategist who designs premium brand identities that create impactful first impressions. She also started three companies in one year while battling a brain tumor. Johanna is the epitome of someone that raises the vibration of a room. She has so much joy and her energy is contagious. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. It's one of my favorite that I've had so far. I promise you will leave feeling elevated and inspired. Let's go. Welcome, Johanna. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So as I was reading your bio, I'm like, she's accomplished a lot. Like you had overwhelming obstacles and you were able to grow through that and accomplish a lot. And we're going to get into that. But before we do, I'd love for you to paint the audience just a picture of what your life looked like before everything I just read in your bio. (laughs) Well, so we'll call it BBT, before brain tumor and after brain tumors. (laughs) I love that. So BBT, what was your life like? So the best way that I could describe my life was safe fairly mediocre as far as what I was achieving compared to what I am capable of doing, but it was somewhat secure. You knew where your next paycheck was coming from. You knew what you were doing tomorrow, like very middle of the road, I would say. Average is a good word to describe it, which some people think that average is great, but I have come to loathe that identity for me. I would rather be terrible or great at something. Average just is like stuck for me forever. I love that. I love that. Because if you're great at something, like that means you're working hard towards it. And if you're terrible, you're like, at least I have somewhere to go. I'm not stuck. Yes. But average, average flows with complacent. They hang out and average, like you can coast there for a really long time. And that's what I did. I, I grew up in a, you know, middle-class family with parents that loved me, but now looking back, I know they also dealt with a lot of anxiety in their life. And so they kind of played it safe. And I grew up in a small community and then I was homeschooled for the first part of my life until seventh grade. And then I kind of got shoved into the wild and put into public school, which was a big transition. And where I just went into being secure and safe and consistent. And I graduated from high school, still not sure what I wanted to do with my life, but still really living in fear. So I just picked one aspect that maybe could work, which was horse training. I went to college to train horses and it totally burned me out on my love of horses. I'd been riding my whole life, but after I came back from that, I didn't hardly even want to ride anymore. So I felt like I had failed at the one thing I'd actually tried and went to kind of lick my wounds and go back to being safe again, working construction, which was what I did in high school, worked for my dad, installing floor covering and tile and all that stuff, which again, was very safe and consistent. And Mm -hmm. I was good at it, but I absolutely hated it. 
loved my dad, hated the work, but it took three more years of hating that work enough for me to say, okay, this is awful. I have to try something. So in that case, pain finally pushed me to try again. And I went back to school for graphic design and said, anything is better than this. Maybe it'll stick this time. Luckily it did. I actually fell in love with design. But while I was in school for it, I needed an internship. And as I was looking for internships, I found a, a, like a paid position at a creative services agency, which seemed like an answer to prayer. But the thing was, once again, I played it safe and I just stayed there in the mm. lowest role you possibly could. <laughs> Like getting paid like $12 an hour, working less than 30 hours a week because they didn't want to give me benefits. Mm -hmm. So it was this really, and the culture there was super toxic and negative and people got fired all the time and there was nowhere to go up. And the whole culture there was, you're just lucky to have a job. At least you're using your degree. You should just be grateful that you have work. The design market is flooded. So I'm kind of, doing what I love, but at like the lowest possible form that I could be. Yeah. Like even and maybe I, slightly below that average. Of what you said, that kind of yeah. in, in, in this case, this was below average, but again, it was easy. The work was fairly easy. Didn't use much of my brain power. And it's like, well, at least I have a job and I'm safe. And I still lived with my parents because I paid my way through college as I went. So I didn't have enough money even to live on campus yet. I just lived with them, commuted to college and was like, okay, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to be debt free. And then having graduated for the second time at age 24, 25, I forget exactly where I was. I was like, I am finally onward, upward, moving out of my parents' basement. Like they're safe. And then there's you're still living like a teenager. And it's, (laughs) (laughs) and this was before it was cool to save money and live with your parents. So, so that was my life before. And I thought a few times, like I need to look for a different job. I need to apply for a different role. And then I'd get scared or I'd look around and go, I don't really see anything better. Mm -hmm. Not that I looked all that hard, but (laughs) I listened to the people who said, you're just lucky to have a job to stay here. And so I finally graduated and said, okay, I have enough pain in my life again, still like being 25, having no social life, still living with my parents, that it's about to push me. And I'm going to go find some really cool agency in New York, work there, strike out on my own, all of these things. Well, two weeks after I graduated, side note, I probably wouldn't have done any of that. (laughs) That was just kind of the, this is the plan, but. This is the plan. Historically though, my plans for getting out of this town and doing big things like did not come to fruition until it was absolutely forced upon me. So probably wouldn't have rolled on quite like I said, but two weeks after I graduated from college for the second time, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor out of the blue. I went from being perfectly healthy, really physically fit and strong and that was kind of my identity. Like I didn't have a lot going for me, but at least I have a grip strength that's 40 pounds stronger than the average woman and 10 pounds stronger than the average man. <laughs> so your life before BBT, before the brain tumor, you would say was kind of average, complacent. And again, you were kind of stuck. Like you hadn't really moved out of your parents' house. You hadn't really leaned into using your skills and your talents What changed the day you found out, like, I have a brain tumor? Like, what was that day like for you? 
Well, that day was hell. (laughs) I didn't just wake up and get diagnosed. I woke up and out of the blue had a migraine that lasted for four days. And I never had so much as a bad headache before. And when it went away, I was left with this onslaught of sudden symptoms like partial paralysis on my left side. I couldn't swallow very well. Food would come out of my nose instead of going down my throat. I had muscles that were atrophied in my neck and behind my collarbone. I couldn't really speak because my vocal cords were partially collapsed. We didn't know why all of these things yet, but those were the symptoms that were happening. And so I started going, I went first like to an ear, nose and throat doctor who then said, these are weird symptoms, but there's one thing that ties them all together, which is your cranial nerves. So he sent me to a neurologist who then did the CAT scans and the MRIs. And he is the one who then called me at work. Um, It's like eight o'clock at night. My dead end job, I worked second shift Mm. and uh, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I also worked some other jobs at the same time, just to even pay the small bills that I had. And, uh, but you know, when you get a call from the doctor at eight o'clock at night and it's not the office, it's the doctor. It's not a good thing. Not a good thing. And so he calls and he says, we found a mass and my stomach just plummeted. I thought they were going to say like, you have a pinched nerve or something like that. I mean, I'm so healthy. How can this be? And I've got all the time in the world to live my dreams, even if I don't have very many dreams, because I'm actually at this point still scared to dream. I was a person who never set goals because that would mean something I could fail at. Mm. If I set the goal, I could fail at the goal. So just don't set the goal and then you won't fail. Yeah, just playing it safe. (laughs) Playing it safe. And um, so he tells me this and he says, you've got a brain tumor. We don't know much about it yet. And I asked him, what does this mean? Tell me more. Is this panic situation? Is this everyday situation? Am I going to die? And he just said, I don't know. And so that began the health journey of different visits to different surgeons who thought they could help and then they couldn't. And the results are inconclusive. You get a brain biopsy and you think you'll find out for sure if it's cancerous or benign. And they say, well, yeah, we drilled into your brain, but the results are still inconclusive. And that was when I learned that certainty is actually just an illusion. But in that moment, when the doctor called me, which was your question, like what changed? I was at the office and I looked around and went, I'm not going out like this. Hell no. Like it's now or never. And if I don't know how much time I have left, this is not how I want to spend it. And over the next couple of weeks, that thought just dug in deeper and deeper. And I'm battling more anxiety than ever in my life before, because in addition to just always playing it safe, like I've played it safe. I've been a good girl. I've been healthy. I ate like organic before organic was cool. And (laughs) now you tell me that despite all of this, I might be dying and there's apparently nothing I can do about it right now. And it just totally flipped me upside down, became the kick in the pants I needed. And within a couple of weeks of the diagnosis, I walked out of that office and never looked back. I literally just walked down the street and started knocking on business doors and saying, hi, I'm Johanna. I design stuff. Do you need stuff designed? (laughs) And when I started Design by Joe, I had like eight official hours of freelance work on the, the calendar. That was it. But that was enough for me because I had absolutely nothing to lose. And I, mean, I, I finally realized it. that. <laughs> yeah, it's literally reached a point where you're like, I could die. So I can either go out, <laughs> like just kind of crying and sad in my same life, or I can at least 
try and push for more. So what came next with that diagnosis? Because I know when we talked last time, you said that the doctors had like opinions about it and you were like, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And you kind of, you (laughs) went your own path, like even with your diagnosis. Tell me about that. Well, early in, early in the journey, I began to realize that fear was killing me almost as much as the tumor was. So I had all these symptoms, but when I would get anxious about those symptoms or I'd start focusing on the pain or what was going wrong, they would almost double. I'd go from could barely breathe to pass out on the bathroom floor. And I picked up on this like, wow, my emotions are actually really doing a lot of harm here. So I don't know yet what I can do about the tumor, but I know I can do something or I think I can do something about the fear. And I tried just don't be afraid. Well, that works real well. By telling yourself not to do something. Don't be afraid. Not effective. Not effective. But I did start to learn that I could drown the fear out. So I started getting intentional about inputs. And I'd um, read verses on healing and I'd play sermons on healing in the background. And I would play Psalms while I fell asleep at night. And I would just like put those inputs in, in an effort to silence the fear or let another voice become louder than that. And I, um, I... I also, at the same time as we're doing the medical route and going to the surgeons and getting their scans and their advice and their continual, the results are inconclusive. I also had kind of a parallel life happening, which was that I had a really good friend of our family show up on my porch the day that I was diagnosed. And he was a chiropractor and he was friends with my dad and he just loved all of us a lot. And when he heard about it, the minute he heard about it, he canceled his entire patient load for the day, like 50 people just told his secretary to cancel them all, showed up on my porch and said, come with me. We're going for a walk. Grab your parents. We're going to fight. And he just walked and talked and said, and challenged me and said, Johanna, you have said your whole life that you believe in God and that you believe in healing and you believe it's possible, but you're not acting like you believe that right now. This is your chance to actually do something about what you believe. And he challenged me and he said, you get to choose your story. And the doctors are saying these things and it's fine for you to tell people the doctor said this and the scans showed this, but you need to speak differently about what you're owning. Like instead of walking around telling everyone this sob story about how sick you are, you're not trying to pretend you're not, but you are owning the fact that you are going to be well and that your body is healing. And he just really challenged me and I hated him. (laughs) That's some deep mindset work. Yeah, because I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to be diagnosed with a brain tumor, but to have something so heavy happen to you and be told that this is what's going to happen with your life. And then someone come along and be like, (laughs) you need to let go of that victim mindset and lean into your faith and lean into what you say you believe. Yeah. I could see how that might... At first, I'd be rubbed the wrong way too. Yeah, I just wanted to curl up and lick my wounds and feel sorry for myself. Like physically, I had gone from being very strong to all of a sudden I couldn't even work out. It would cause more migraines or more pain. And even when I did work out, my muscles went the other way. Like instead of getting stronger, they were atrophied and the workout didn't affect that. And so I just felt defeated, like fine. Why even bother? You know what? I never liked getting sweaty that much anyway. I'm just going (laughs) to curl up on a couch and let this happen. And he just really challenged me. And I would say like, but what about this person? They believe in healing and they died anyway. What about this? Like I've prayed for this and it never happened. And he just kind of said like, 
you get to choose what you focus on. That's their stories. You don't need to worry about their stories right now. You just need to focus on your story. And does you thinking about how their thing didn't work help you right now? Does it in any way serve you? And in fact, deciding and accepting that you're going to die, does that in any way serve you right now? And I really appreciated, you know, how much he kind of nudged me on that. And at the same time, I had people in my life who were telling me the opposite. Like, Johanna, like once I kicked into gear and said, okay, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to stand. I'm going to fight every day that I can move is a gift. And I'm going to move just because I can move, not because it has a certain outcome. And I started being grateful for that and started saying, I'm going to stand. And it doesn't matter if I look crazy. doesn't matter if people call me crazy when I say, I'm being healed. And (laughs) the doctors say this, but I'm not going to own that. And it doesn't matter what they think. And in fact, even if I died, I would rather die doing everything I could to reverse this than just give up and say, okay, fine. But I had a dying defeated. Yeah. But I had a lot of people who were like, you just need to accept this, Johanna. You just need to like, you're being a little too positive right now. You're in denial. And I wasn't. I knew what was there, but I also knew what I believed to be true and what could be true. And I chose to walk in that instead. And what good would it do me to curl up on the couch and accept this? Like, no. (laughs) I think of those as the the people in life that a lot of times will refer to themselves as realists. (laughs) And I'm like, I understand where you're coming from, but I'm like, that's maybe not the reality I want to choose for myself. I want something in your case, you're like, I want healing. I want something better. So you went on this journey. You started doing the mindset work in a sense of like feeding your spirit. Like you're listening to things, Mm -hmm. you're pouring into yourself that way. You're leaning into gratitude. When did you start to see the changes in the conditions and the symptoms you were feeling? Oh, fun question. Okay. So there was a couple of times that things happened uh, and that I noticed a lot of it was more gradual, but the first thing I noticed was when I decided that I could do something about the fear. And the first thing I did was get to the bottom of it. What am I actually afraid of? Because so often we are afraid just in general. Like it's just this vague hovering fear, which I kind of felt my whole life. And now suddenly I had a reason to be really afraid. So it felt like, okay, I understand why I'm afraid. But when I dug into it, it turned out I wasn't afraid of dying. I was afraid of living with a lower quality of life. And that that would cause me to lose my joy and lose my happiness, that I would be this bitter, unhappy person in a wheelchair on a feeding tube, you know, like that my circumstances determine my happiness and therefore circumstances are clearly uncertain right now. This might mean that I'm about to be unhappy. So I'm scared of that. And when I realized that, I also at the same time realized that I could choose joy no matter what my circumstances were. And when that came to me, then it was like, oh, I actually have nothing left to fear. In any stage of life, in any quality of life, in any circumstance, I can choose joy. And then there's no more uncertainty. It Certainty isn't actually based on my circumstances. It's just based on the fact that I can choose, like no matter how sucky this gets, <laughs> I can choose joy. And so when I realized that the fear just dropped. And, and then I, so symptoms started to relax a little bit, like some functions started to come back and I realized how many of them were being caused by the fear. And then, like you said, putting in those inputs was one thing, but I had to start putting them out too. That was where I, I learned that 
what you believe matters, but what you do about what you believe matters even more. And so I couldn't just put in things about healing and faith and be like, I believe in healing. I had to talk to people about it. I had to tell them when they would ask me, how are you? I had to force myself to say, you know what? The doctor said this, but I'm believing this. And I saw this change happen and like, we're moving forward. And I had to speak it out and risk sounding crazy and own that. Also, I think your body responds to your mind even more when it's verbal, Mm -hmm. like when the words are spoken out, it's not just a thought anymore. And so I would like find every verse I could on healing and I would read them out loud. Or if I was in too much pain to talk, I would um, ask a family member or a friend and they would like read them to me or read them for me. And uh, so I started to see symptoms get better and better and better, probably within the first six months. But then, (laughs) then I went to my six month uh, checkup with the next neurosurgeon who's supposed to be able to help me get rid of this thing, which I desperately still want to do because I want certainty. Like, even though my symptoms are starting to get better and this healing thing is starting to work, I want to know that I know that I know. You want to see that the brain tumor has gone away. I want to see that it's gone. Yes. And so I go in there like so full of faith because I can raise my arm again. I can talk again. I can swallow. I just have a little bit of headache left. And like the the muscles that were atrophied are back. And I like, clearly this is working and I'm being healed. I go to this visit, they do the MRI and they come back and they say, well, we're not really sure, but we think it's the same size or maybe even bigger. And here's like the next five symptoms you're probably going to experience. Your jaw's going to push out from the pressure and your eye is going to lose vision because it's connected to the nerve on the opposite side and your like numbness and tingling in your face. And they just listed all these things and they were trying to prepare me and they were trying to be helpful. But what happened was I then took their word over what I knew was happening in my body and said, okay, well, they're the doctors, they're smart. And I walked in almost all the way symptom-free and went home just crying, faith is crushed. And I woke up the next morning with all of my symptoms back plus some. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would be, yeah, just imagining that like, going in there feeling so good, just knowing you have this miracle because you can feel it in your body. You believe it's true. And then being told the opposite, like, no, the tumor is bigger. You're going to feel these ways. And then just that defeat. How did you get back on track? Well, I kind of repeated the cycle, like a couple of days of sobbing and licking my wounds and going, all right, Lord, I guess I'm just supposed to accept this. And then getting rid of the fear again, and then going, hang on a second. That's awfully odd that uh, I was feeling amazing and then I got these suggestions and now I'm feeling terrible again. My mind must be way more powerful than I ever gave it credit for. Like this was back in 2015, which there was already like studies and people talking more about mindset, but I wasn't aware of any of them yet. So all of the stuff that I'm aware of now, like Joe Dispenza and Louise Hayes and like, There's a lot of authors that were in existence, but I had no uh, like connection or knowledge of their stuff. Now it feels like mindset talk is everywhere and everyone realizes how important it is. Maybe it's just that my circle has changed. 
It's entirely possible who I hang out with. Yeah, I definitely um, feel like it has though. In the last few years, it's become much more mainstream. And I would say in yeah. 2015, it was okay. still a little like woo. <laughs> yeah, it was. And so I didn't have anyone telling me that the mind was this powerful, but it was except for my friend who just challenged me to stand on my faith. But I saw it come true multiple times. So you would think I would learn my lesson. And I went back through the cycle and started getting better and better and better. Symptoms are improving again and again. And, but then there's yet another surgeon who says, well, I know that surgeon couldn't help, but I think maybe we could help. We could try this gamma knife or we could try this thing. So I'd go back to that appointment, even though by this point, my symptoms are almost completely gone. I still just want that freaking certainty. (laughs) And I'm willing to accept the risk just put me under, take this thing out. So I never have to worry about it again. Mm -hmm. And so I can show people and prove them like I'm healed. Here's the old scan. Here's the new scan. I'm not crazy. Yeah. (laughs) And went back to this surgeon, same thing happened. Like we think it's the same or bigger, but yeah, we're pretty sure we can help you with this new technology. We're getting it installed in our hospital soon. We'll put you on the roster. I went home. Faith is crushed again. It wasn't quite as bad. Like I was getting a little bit wiser at this point to realize that I needed to not take everything that they said, like not take the doctor's word as the last word. And I was starting to see that maybe even what's on that MRI doesn't matter as much as what I know to be true and I'm standing on. And then that surgery didn't work out. And then six months later, I'm at this point walking, talking, everything feels amazing. I don't even have headaches anymore, but I still go to see another surgeon because according to the scan, this thing is still there and I want it out. And he says, oh, no, no big deal. I actually work in this area all the time. We're going to go in through your ear. We're going to remove this. It's going to be a 10 hour surgery, but this is low risk. Maybe some risk of the surgery is like some facial numbness that could be permanent, really low risk. Come back in three months and we'll have the surgery. So even though my body is now functioning amazing and like some of my friends and and also the family friend that initially was like challenging me are questioning my choice to get the surgery at this point. Mm -hmm. They're like, Johanna, are you sure you need this? I mean, like, look what's happened. And I ignored them and said, no, I just want to be done with this stupid thing. Get the Never certainty. Think about it again. Get the certainty. Are you sensing a thread here? <laughs> <laughs> My quest for certainty. <laughs> and so I just wanted to be done. We wait the three months. I show up for the surgery. Haven't eaten in 24 hours. It's scheduled for like prep time is 5 a.m. Go into the hospital. They've got me prepped. Uh, IV'd. The anesthesiologist is right there ready to put me out. And the surgeon comes in. He looks at my charts and he says, I changed my mind. I'm not going to do this surgery. And he said, the risks are actually way higher. I could put you in a feeding tube or in a wheelchair for life. And I can't do that to an otherwise healthy person. So until the tumor does those things to you, I'm not going to risk my career (laughs) and your life, probably secondary. (laughs) And I was so mad at him. Like you couldn't, for one thing, you couldn't have looked at my chart three months ago and decided this. And for another thing, like, what changed in the risks that you perceived? And all I can say is now I'm really grateful that he didn't follow through, but it finally gave me the courage I needed to say, well, like they wanted me to keep coming back every six months and do a watch and wait, but they had already said that it didn't matter what the MRI said, they weren't going to operate until the symptoms were in this place. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, well, you know what? 
if you don't care what the chart says, also, I don't care what the chart says. Yeah. And I'm done. I'm done getting the pants scared off of me every six months. <laughs> My faith is not strong enough for this. So I need to just do what I should have done in the first place, which was own this and say, no, I am healed. And it doesn't matter if I can't prove it. It doesn't matter if I can't show you a clean MRI. And it doesn't matter if you think I'm crazy. I know what my body was capable of and what it did. And I know how everything is back and all the muscles are there and I'm talking fine and food does go down. <laughs> no more Oreos out the nose. That's so powerful. It's like you let go of that hold on the certainty you so desperately wanted and having to prove to other people that you're like, I'm healed. I'm enjoying my life. I'm vibrant. And I want to like go back just so the audience knows you also built three businesses during this time. (laughs) Like so many people would have, you know, been like, where's the disability? Where's this? Like, how can I just get by why I deal with my health thing? And you built three businesses. I did. I did. My story, I wish I could tell it in a linear fashion, but it is very crazy and all over the place. Things were happening at the same time. And you are correct. So when I walked out of that office and said, this is it, I it's now or never. I've just been diagnosed, but I, I don't know if I'm living or dying, but I'm not going out like this. I know that I'm capable of something great and I'm not even trying to reach it right now. I can't die knowing I haven't tried. And I walked out. And there was a lot of people that said, you should quit your job and go on disability, get social security and Medicaid. And that will cover these potentially multi-six figure surgeries that are bound to be coming your way. And I looked at that option and I thought, I can't do that because I don't think I'll recover mentally. Who would I be on the other side of that? I might be two or three years down the road and still living in my parents' basement, not trying to grow into my potential because I don't want to earn too much so that I don't break the rules of Medicaid. Like, And also mentally, I need to believe that there is a Johanna White on the other side of this tumor and that she's a badass. <laughs> like, And I need to start walking into that now. I can't wait. And I need something to work on and to focus on that isn't just me spinning my brain on the hamster wheel of I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I need to heal. I need to heal. Like I needed to heal, but I also needed to build a future so that I had some reason to heal for. And so I started Design by Joe uh, in the rough and tumble way (laughs) earlier described. Knocking on doors. It has come a long way since then into a bespoke luxury branding agency where instead of knocking on doors, my ideal clients are saying, how can I work with you? And we're doing multi-six figure packages and really helping our clients level up into their most aspirational self. And I love it. Every single time I get to work with a dream client who had something amazing. Like they were the best at what they did, but they didn't look like it. So the world couldn't perceive that greatness. And and therefore they were always having to over-explain why they were worth it, over-explain why you should work with them, over-explain, you know, justify their prices. And when I meet that person and I can move them into their future self now through branding and through their high impact design and, and websites and help them show up and look as good as they are so that they can attract more raving fan clients than they know what to do with and be delightfully expensive. I just feel this 
this joy, like every single time I do that, I go, I could still be stuck making like 20 bucks an hour in a second shift job at some crappy, barely even an agency agency if this hadn't happened to me. And if I hadn't reacted to it in the way that I did, I had options. I could have just licked my wounds. I could have gone on Medicaid. I could have done all these things, but I saw this future, knew I had to at least try and look what happened. (laughs) And I also, at the same time, started a company called Uniquely Yoga, which is an online boutique. And we sell yoga pants made out of recycled water bottles. That sounds like it came out of nowhere, but it was because in the early stages of the symptoms of the tumor, I couldn't really work out like I was used to, and which was hard pounding workouts. And instead I needed something gentle. And a friend introduced me to yoga and I started trying it. And it was gentle enough that even with the weaker side, I could still do it. But I was really unmotivated, like I said, to do anything physical because it felt like I was going backwards instead of forwards. And I found this pair of yoga pants from some designer in like Sweden that said, I can, I will on the leg. And I bought them and I laid them out on my dresser. And every day I would walk past them and go, okay, as long as I can move, I will move just for the joy of moving, just because this day is a gift. And I don't know how many days I have left. And it's not about the ultimate outcome. It's about what I do today. And I was so encouraged by those silly pants (laughs) that I thought how many other women are taking the doctor's word as the last word and who could I reach and connect with and how could I have an opportunity to just be in existence and motivate them with something as simple as a pair of yoga pants that feel like a hug when you put them on and remind you that today is a gift and you are just living it. Like it's not about what happens tomorrow. It's about living that gift. And then the third company was called Iconic Moto Culture. It is no longer in existence, sadly. Three companies in one year was just too much. (laughs) But we built one epic hell of a cafe racer motorcycle, which is currently my Facebook profile picture. And we started this apparel line for cafe racers before we discovered things like this was before I really knew branding. (laughs) I was just starting in branding. Turns out you should know your audience and also sometimes location does matter. And where we lived, there was not exactly a hub for people wanting cafe racer motorcycles and the apparel that goes with it. So, you know, we lived, we learned, we shut it down. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I have guys, you'll have to, and this will all be in the show notes, but find Johanna on Facebook, because I was looking at that in your post, I think from just like last week on your motorcycle trip. I'm like, she is a badass. That that photo popped up in Time Hop and I was like, this is how I'm feeling today in life right now. Like I'm going back to being iconic. That is my vision for me, for my company and for anyone else I can invite and bring along on that journey. Like how can I help everyone I meet, one, have the best day ever, the day that I meet them, like just bring so much joy into their life that they start breathing easier and using that as an antidote to their own uncertainty. And then also, how can I just invite them into my life and say, we're going to level up together, whether it's your brand or you're too scared to live your dreams. Like I'm going to be your friend and sneak you into that. And before you know it, (laughs) you're going to be having epic weekends right alongside me. So yeah, I found it on, I was like, oh, I'm feeling this today. It's 
time for reoccurrence of the iconic Johanna that I started all those years ago. She's coming back. (laughs) That is beautiful. And joy has been a through line in your life and this whole story that you've told. And I know oftentimes people think of joy, they think of positivity. And I tell people, I'm like, no, joy is rooted in something deeper. And it's oftentimes rooted in great grief or things that we go through. Where does this joy, because it's infectious, like talking to you, like I feel good having this conversation with you because that plays out when someone is around you. So where is that joy rooted for you? For me, I always go back to my faith and the joy of the Lord really is my strength. So because it's an inside source that's outside of me, I can never run out of it. And that is where I lean on when I'm feeling low. But I also go back to the fact that I can choose it, that it's a choice at any time. And you are right. People will say, like, I'll say, choose joy. It's an antidote to fear. And they'll go, toxic positivity. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. You're in denial. And (laughs) you don't see the world around you. And you're like, I see it. I see it. But how am I helping the world around me if I am also terrified, curled up in my apartment, scared to go out and spreading every scary thing I see on social media? How am I helping the world then? I'm not. But if I show up and say, I see it, but I'm going to focus on one thing I can do to bless someone today. I'm going to focus on one thing I'm grateful for. And it's hard to stop at one. There are many. I'm going to focus on that and find joy in that. And sometimes I'm finding joy and I'm crying. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're right. Like, But it's because it is this never ending wellspring. It can't be taken away. And I've lived through hell and back, <laughs> but it it applies way beyond health issues or life issues. Like when the whole world spiraled during COVID and everyone, fear was rampant. It was everywhere. People were turning on each other. And I was able to like have some of the best two years of my life during COVID. And my business growth was like a quantum bunny. It was just exponential. And where other people were saying like, I'm going to take all the work I can get and I'm just going to like lower my prices way down and all this stuff. Like I saw massive growth. My packages were leveled up to match the increasing value that I was adding to my clients. And I was working with more and more ideal clients than I ever had been before because I've been there. Like that uncertainty, I recognize it now and I'm not attached to it. And it doesn't determine the outcome of my life or my business. And so once you learn that like, I did the quest for certainty, guys. I can tell you how it ends. <laughs> and it the never ending quest the never for certainty. Ending. Turns out certainty is an illusion. And so, yeah. So. Oh, so if you had someone who was where you were, maybe they just got a bad like health report or they lost a job. They have some kind of like bad news, bad thing that has occurred in life. And you could give them one piece of advice that they could use today. What would that be? I would, oh man, (laughs) I'm trying to think back. I feel like when we did our pre-call, I had so many great pieces of advice. (laughs) Like a start here kind of thing. (laughs) I know like you had the chiropractor friend who was there that really like kind of kicked you in the ass. It was like, you need to deal with this. (laughs) And then you also, you had those inputs you were giving yourself. But for somebody who's like, okay, I hear what you're saying. 
I don't currently feel this joy in my life yeah. and I don't really see the way out. Yeah. Where could they start? I would say pick one thing to take action on. Like pick a thing that you want to be true in your life and take an action towards it. So for me, it was, I want to be healed. The fear is in my way. I'm going to see what I can do about the fear. And I couldn't just turn it off, but I could put a good input in. So if you're feeling like there's no joy, I have no joy. I have no, like I feel at the end of my rope, pick an input that you want to be like and put it in intentionally. That's a start here. (laughs) I love that. And a question I ask all of my guests is, what is growth to you? For me, growth is visible difference from where you were. It's not compared to someone else. And it's not even necessarily compared to your end goals because those are always moving. (laughs) But growth is measuring backwards and going, whoa, look how far we've come. And it is the opposite of being average and stagnant. Growth is expansion. It is always pushing towards a larger, fullest potential instead of being stuck, afraid, and stagnant. Thank you for that. That is beautiful. Where can we find you? Because I know people listening are going to want more of this. (laughs) Well, you can find me on my website, designbyjoestudio.com. And Joe is J-O. You can also find me on Instagram or Facebook. Both of those is the, the handle is at Design by Joe Studio. And my personal Facebook page is Johanna White. And just look for the epic motorcycle shot. (laughs) And you'll know you got the right, Johanna. I love that. Johanna, thank you so much. Your joy is infectious. And again, I feel amazing after having this talk. And I know people listening to it are feeling that joy as well. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Growth Over Easy. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me at lilyrachels.com. I'm Lily Rachels across all social platforms. Please just share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Until next time, remember, easy is empty, growth is gold.